This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey, we are in our third week in this series called Relationships Uncensored. Have you guys had fun during this series? All right. I have. Um, I mean, I have. And I know that if you come like expectant and you come with energy ready to go this morning, I really do believe that you're gonna get more out of, out of this. And here's what I would say is kind of what we've been saying throughout this series is if you have little ones, all right, that are, you know, fifth grade and under, now is a great time. No, no shame, no guilt. We're not pointing you out. In fact, it'd be a really great decision maybe to have them check out our Elevate Kids area. So right now, I'm gonna stall for a little bit, give you some time to grab your little ones. They're gonna make it super easy for you over there to get them checked in uh, fifth grade and under, honestly, because we're talking about relationships, we're talking about all the things that are involved with relationships and dating, today specifically marriage. So I'm gonna give a recap of where we've been during that time. If, if I've stalled enough and allowed you to, you know, take care of some business, great. If not, don't say I didn't warn you, all right? Just throwing that out there. Uh, week one, we started this series talking about hope, talking about how many of us um, erroneously place our hope in a person and put undue stress on them that they were never meant to handle. Uh, ultimate hope for happiness, ultimate hope for whatever inside of a person that would never be able to give that to you, that only Jesus can hold and can sustain our hope, that there's a heaviness that comes along with our hope. And then last week, we talked about the baggage that we carry from relationship to relationship. Absolutely, God can forgive us for our past and for our, our faults and, and failures, but we need to know that we carry this, this bag. We're packing an invisible box that we bring along with us. And it's more important to focus on who we're actually becoming uh, than finding the right one. Focus on becoming the right one, not finding the right one. Well, what about once you've crossed the line, once you've, once you've dated, and once you've gotten to the, the altar and you've said, I do, now you are Married. So today I want to talk about um, being married. In fact, this is going to have application for everyone in the room, whether you're single or not, you're going to be able to pull something out of this. But I'm talking specifically to the married people in the room because here's what I know, and here's what many of you know marriage is tough. Amen? It's tough. It's taking two sinners, putting them in a house, locking the doors, and hoping they don't kill each other. And I know all, people say, well, opposites attract, opposites attract. Yes, they do. Opposites also attack, right? And so, man, all kinds of things uh, going on in that. And that's probably why 50% of marriages fail. Did you know that? In America, on average, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And it's not like 
um, practice makes perfect. Well, Colby, the second time is gonna be the better time. Well, actually, that's not the, the case. Uh, 67% of second marriages end in divorce. Well, third time's a charm. It's gotta be that, right? It's gotta be the third one. Well, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. There's not even a stat for fourth marriages because I think those end in death. I mean, I think you're super old <laughs> at that point. So with those stats being that high, the reality is we've all been touched by this, right? I mean, to some level in a room this size, every single one of us has been touched by divorce. And so here's what you need to know before we dive in. Uh, when you look at an iceberg, all you see is a piece of the puzzle. All you see is a, a little bit of it. So whatever problems a, a marriage had that, that ended up dissolving in divorce, you're only getting a piece of the story. Uh, because a lot of what we talked about last week, we carry our past with us. So a lot of times, uh, marriages that end in divorce, there are fault lines that run a lot deeper, that run a lot further before you even met. Excuse me, I don't know what that was. Before you even met, before you said I do, before you fell in love. So that's what you need to know. The, the, uh, you might just be seeing the results of something that happened a long, long time ago. But what happens is, once you arrive to that place where you're like, all right, now, now this is it. Now I wanna do this right. Now I wanna be the guy that she's looking for. I wanna be the, the girl that, that he's looking for. I wanna settle down. I want the happy ever after. I want the, the, the house and the white picket fence, you know, and the puppies and the, and the, the minivan. I'd be like, screw that, girls. Get the, get the SUV, all right? If you're gonna do anything, go for the SUV. But you're like, now... I want to become the person I'm looking for is looking for. I'm ready to do this. Let's put the past in the past and move forward. But here's the problem that many of you already know. The past has a pesky way of popping up in the present, doesn't it? That's a lot of peas right there. The past has a pesky way of popping up in the present. And again, it's not that God can't forgive you but there are consequences and he'd rather be using you. Uh, that's why we, we talked to the young people, the single people last week. He'd much rather be using you. He'd much rather be blessing you than forgiving you for all the things that he told us not to do already inside his, his word and just believe that his plan is better for our life because um, prevention early on is better than the cure. I'd say it this way, it's, it's easier to build the boy than to change the man. And so that's why we say focus on this, this, this now um, because so much of marriage really is in selection and, and the, the baggage that you pack that you bring into the relationship. But once you get to the altar, uh, the life after you said, I do, that's what I wanna talk about today. After you said, I do, with the mind towards uh, keeping any one of us from ever saying, I don't that you really need to protect, that we, we need to be vigilant and protect the I do that we said so we never say I don't. I'm calling this message, if you wanna jot down a title, the sword and the staff. The sword and the staff. And I know that that's slightly vague. Maybe it's a lot vague in this moment. Um, it will become apparent later. So here's an alternate title, less vague. All right, if you wanna jot this down, how to not get divorced. Well, there it is. How did I get divorced? Exodus chapter 17, uh, if you make your way there, um, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible, 
Uh, while you're turning there, here are a few disclaimers. Um, I have 30 minutes to preach on a subject that is extraordinary, extraordinarily complicated and difficult. And so I would ask from you just some understanding, maybe some grace, and know that um, where you want me to put detail to it, where you want me to, to paint with a, uh, a fine tip kind of brush, really what I'm gonna be able to offer are, I'm gonna be painting with a broom up here, right? Some broad strokes to where you'd say, well, what about my situation? What about this thing? I'm not gonna be able to talk to every single nuance, every issue that you are facing uh, in your relationship. I can't cover every single detail, so you just need to know that up front. I'm gonna give us principles, all right? Some broad strokes. And I also want to acknowledge that this is a delicate, sensitive topic. And so I'm asking you not to shut down, not to, to clam up, all right, not to immediately write this off and for your heart to be hardened, but for you to push past that and allow God really to speak and address the issues that are in our lives and know that none of this is meant to bring condemnation. Like that's what the enemy wants to do, all right? He wants to condemn you to where you feel like you can't change, that you are doomed, that you're headed for disaster, that nothing's ever gonna be different. Well, that's not the gospel of grace. That's not the good news of Jesus. He brings conviction. God's spirit brings conviction. And sometimes it's painful. Conviction often is. But you've heard this before. Uh, when the, the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing, that's when people tend to make the necessary changes in their lives. But I want you to know that it doesn't have to get to that point. It doesn't have to get so bad um, that right now God can and God will begin to change, begin to restore, begin to do some things in your heart today, but you have to let him. So don't clam up. Allow him to speak to your heart right where you are. Don't, don't get immediately put on the defensive. Well, Colby, you don't know what my husband did to me. If you knew what he had done to me, you wouldn't preach this stuff, and that might be true, I don't know what he did, but here's, here's the deal. He's not here, maybe she's not here, but you are. So right now, you're the issue. And right now, you're here because God wants to speak to your heart. So I'm just asking you to be open and allow him to do that. And also, as we talk about this idea of kind of fighting for our marriage, um, I, I need to say this. If you are in, a, in an abusive relationship, like, you're not gonna hear me say stay there. Like your job is, is to call 911, really is to, to get some help, really to, to, if you need some help, jot it down on your connect card, like put it in, uh, leave it at the hub, let, let somebody know, let, let me know, right? Like let us know if you are in an abusive relationship where somebody is hitting you and hurting you because we, we have resources and tools to be able to help you along that way. In fact, I'll say this, we have some guys here that are like just barely saved. And, and, and haven't figured out that whole turn the other cheek thing, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, they're so new to this, and they would be happy to step in. And I would talk to the guys, and hopefully this is nobody in the room, but if you think it's okay to, to hit somebody who is weaker than you because it makes you feel powerful, makes you feel like a man, um, you take out your anger and frustration on somebody who's weaker, that's not a man. That's a that's a spoiled child acting like a bully. And if you need somebody to punch and somebody to hit, I'll be happy to step in and take her place. And I don't say that like as, as a threat. I say that because you really do need some help. 
It's a heart thing. So I would say that. And the last thing I would say is this. I know that as I say things like um, how to not get divorced, man, there's a number of people in this room who have been divorced. Like, like, I get that. And here's what you need to know. I'm not coming today to preach to your past, but preach to your future. That from this day forward, things can change in your, your life. This is in no way meant to shame you for something in your past that you cannot change, all right? I came to preach to your present so it can change your future. And I just happen to believe that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. I just happen to believe that past sin is forgiven sin in Jesus Christ. So there's no condemnation. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation uh, for those in Christ Jesus. In fact, what it says is there is now, like right now, no condemnation. So you are not uh, broken beyond repair. You are not a hopeless case that in this moment, God can pick up the broken, shattered pieces of our lives and create something beautiful out of it. Amen. So I came to preach in a sense of giving you hope for the future, not to condemn for the things in the past. All right. You guys there? Exodus 17. Two of you are there. You always just count on the screen being up here. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Me too. Me too. Um, let me give you the context of Exodus chapter 17. Moses and the children of Israel are fresh out of Egypt, like, like just out of Egypt, just crossed the Red Sea. Um, uh, God had, had given them manna from heaven, had been feeding them. Uh, Moses had just taken the staff of God, hit the rock. They got water from the rock. I mean, they're fresh out, like straight out of Compton, straight out of Egypt, Right? And so this, in this moment, this is before Ten Commandments. This is before uh, the wandering in the desert for 40 years. This is before entering into the, the promised land, straight out of Egypt, and immediately what we see is they're attacked. Like immediately opposition by a group of people called the Amalekites. Let's read it, Exodus chapter 7, 17, verse 9 says, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I'm gonna stand on top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So right here, Moses is telling Joshua, hey, here's what we gotta do. You go get some guys, you take some swords, and, uh, and you go into the battle. You go down in the valley, and, and you, you get, get engaged in the fight, in the battle, all right? I'm gonna go up on this hill, and I'm gonna chill with my staff in my hand. And Joshua's, Joshua's gonna be like, what? All right, well, this doesn't sound fair, but look what happens. Uh, verse 10, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded. He did it. He did it. In fact, here's what I wanna say. Some of you, the success that you're seeking is, is directly tied to the obedience that you're willing to give. And Joshua stepped up, and he's like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. That, I think that's the, the reason why God used Joshua the way that he did, because he was willing to obey. And so Joshua uh, did what Moses had commanded. He fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the hill, uh, nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites were winning. So there's a little something more than him just going on to the hillside to chill, right? There's a little something more going on, but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage, Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding his hands up. You need people in your life 
that are willing to stand beside you and hold you up. You should know that. So his hands held steady, held steady until sunset. One more. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. I'm praying that God would hold our hands steady in our marriages, in our life, and that we would too experience victory. What we see in this passage is something um, that is just beginning, something just, just starting out, followed immediately by opposition. And so it is, whatever God begins, Satan opposes. You should know that. Here God is taking these, uh, new, this, this new people group out of Egypt and creating them, turning them into his chosen like nation, the Israelites. So they, they crossed the Red Sea. They did all the, these things. They're heading into the, the promised land. And right away, we see this beginning marked by opposition, marked by the, this other group rising up against them. And it's kind of like, what for? Like, what did the Amalekites have to, like, why, why did they want to just start some static? Why did they just want to, like, get in the way, you know, and kind of start a fight? They really had no reason to. They just rose up in opposition. And the same thing that happens in the birth of a great nation, here's what you need to know, also happens in the birth of a great relationship or the birth of a great marriage. When God begins to do something new, it will be marked by opposition every time. In fact, uh, this is how things started in uh, the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, if you remember the story. Like God, God blessed the very first wedding in that moment. He caused Adam to fall asleep. He brought his wife before him. And this, this beautiful moment of God officiating the very first wedding, Adam and Eve together. Let's, let's take a look at it. In Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two united to become one. Two to become one. So right away, God begins this, this new thing. And so if this theory is correct, whatever God begins, Satan opposes, you would expect the enemy to show up. You would expect, uh, you know, Amalekite, you know, in the form of whatever, this, this enemy to pop up in the very next verse. Well, actually, not the very next verse. The very next verse says, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's what I'm talking about. There was no shame in their nudity game. And these guys were just enjoying like this, this, this relationship together, right? Like they were enjoying this new thing that God had given them. But now look at the very next verse, Genesis chapter three, verse one, the serpent, stop right there. The serpent. Whatever God begins, Satan opposes. Whatever God starts new, you should expect to see some opposition come along with it. So God brings these two together, two into one. Cue the serpent. Why? Why? Because the enemy wants to destroy. The enemy wants to divide. The enemy wants to unone what God has made one. It said before that, that they were uh, in the garden naked together and they felt no shame. Well, that's not what the enemy wants for your life. He wants you to feel shame. He wants you to feel guilt. He wants, he wants to cause uh, friction and division in the marriage. So he came between them because whatever God begins, Satan opposes. So now you, as a married couple, you, if you remember, you, you, you've come to the altar 
You've said, I do. You've tricked all your guys to renting a tux that was too expensive. You tricked all your bridesmaids to buying a dress that was way too expensive that they will never wear again, right? And now you've said, I do. And now you've, you've gone off to the, the reception and you've, you've cut the cake and you've, you've, you've tossed the whole bouquet thing. And that got real weird because two of your bridesmaids take it really seriously and they started a fight and ended up with a bloody nose. I saw that recently. That's crazy. But all that's done. You said, I do. And off you go. Ready? Off you go. Together, this new thing has started. Ready? There's the serpent. There's the snake. Whatever God begins new, right, the enemy wants to oppose and destroy. And this is what was happening. Is God just formed this, this new nation. The devil shows up in the form of this Amalekite army rising up to destroy, to oppose what God wants to build and I want you to look at the response of, of the people of Israel. The response was to fight, to fight, to fight against what was keeping them from this forward momentum, what was keeping them from reaching the promised land. Moses uh, told Joshua, hey, take some men. Go down there, draw swords, take some men, get engaged in the fight. And I believe God is saying the same thing to us, that he wants you to know that, that you are under attack, your marriages are under attack, and it's time to roll up your sleeves, it's time to get in the ring, and it's time for you to fight. Fight for what God wants to build. Fight through that opposition, fight through the, the difficulty that you experience, because the enemy, here's what he knows. He knows that if he can uh, destroy your relationship, then he can destroy generations and generations to come. The enemy knows the power that is held in, in, in relationship, the potential of a, of a man and a woman raising God-fearing children in a home where they've committed, they've said yes to their vows. He knows the potential that you have, and so he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. His goal is to disrupt what God wants to do, and I have news for you. It doesn't have to be that way. You do not have to be divorced because that's what your parents did and your, your grandparents did before you. You do not have to, have to give your body away to man after man after man because that's, that's all you've known. You, do, you are not doomed to alcoholism just because like that's in your, your family line. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to raise your children in a dysfunctional home because that's what you are a part of, that God can do something new in your life right now. That if you let him, God will speak a better word over your life. And that Jesus Christ on the cross has the last word in your life. You know what that last word is? It's victory. It's not defeat. And so now is the time, and I believe God is telling us to fight. Like now is the time to fight. To fight. And some of you are here, and here's what you're saying. Colby, well, that's, that's kind of the deal. We don't have any problem fighting. In fact, that's why we're in this series because all we do is fight. I'm not talking about fighting in your marriage. I'm talking about fighting for it, right? Fighting, fighting for what's, what's right. And here's what you need to know. Um, that sometimes means fighting against yourself. Because whether we like to believe it or not, we're not always right either. And so God's word to us is the same word it was to uh, Moses and Joshua, and that is to fight. 
fight against this enemy that's rising up. So I wanna give you today four things to fight against. Four things to fight against. I want you to write these down. But here, here man, I don't know what's going on. I think I'm gonna die. Um, four things, write these down to fight against, okay? And here's what you need to know. Word of caution, they might not be these big hairy giants that you thought they were. In fact, they might, they might be smaller than you think, but if you don't deal with it now, we'll become a big hairy giant later on. It might not be this army of Amalekites that is looming, uh, impeding your progress. It could be smaller than you think. That's why one of my favorite verses, take a look, in the Song of Songs, says this, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. You think about going to Northeast, everyone's been out there, you see these thousands and thousands of acres of, of vineyards. What they're saying is these little baby foxes would show up in the vineyard and as they're cutting teeth, as they're beginning their little, little baby teeth, they would gnaw on the buds of, of the, the grapes that would grow on the vineyards, that were supposed to grow on the vineyards and they would just gnaw on them and pretty soon they would halt the production of, of that fruit, and, and before long, you could take a look and you could see this, this entire vineyard destroyed. And you're thinking, man, a little baby fox did that? A little baby fox did all that damage? Yes, what this is telling us is to cut it off at the pass. Get ahead of it now because little baby foxes grow into big hairy foxes, right? Little things now grow up to be big things later, so if you can stop them while they're, they're small, the small doesn't have a chance to grow tall. The small doesn't have a chance to get big. And, and I tell you that because there's a danger. Some of you are sitting here, you're a married couple. Maybe you're a year in. Maybe um, you would say, Colby, our marriage is great, is perfect. And I would say, how long have you been, been married? Two weeks. It's just awesome, everything is good. Some of you have been married for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And right now you'd say, man, there's, there's only trace amounts of these things that are going on in our marriage, and, and so, so we're good. And here's what I would tell you. Here's the word of warning. You need to fight against those trace amounts savagely. Like savagely. You need to deal with the baby foxes before they become big foxes, all right? So just a word of caution. Here's the first thing to fight against this is kind of a big hairy fox, fight against infidelity. Go ahead and write that down. Infidelity means being unfaithful. It means being unfaithful to your spouse. It means cheating. It means having an affair. I'm talking about um, turning your back on your marriage vows. If you remember when you stood before God and friends and family and said, uh, I will forsake all others. I ought to live only to you. When, you. when you said that to God, here's what surveys would tell us is that one out of four guys and one out of six girls have had sex with someone that they are not married to. One out of four guys and one out of six girls have violated this vow to forsake all others. In fact, look at this stat, 60% of men and 34% of women say that kissing someone that's not your husband is not cheating on them. Just kissing them. So if I was to ask you, hey, would you ever cheat on, on your wife? 60% of guys would say no. Like I might stick my tongue down her throat for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But since we're not having sex, then we're officially not cheating. Can I tell you something? That's not forsaking all others. You are officially, right, um, experiencing infidelity. You are not being faithful in that moment. Or or what about uh, somebody that would say, well, um, it's just a flirtatious relationship. Well, every, every week, you know, I see him at the office and he stops by my cubicle and, you know, we're both married, but, but he, he always tends to tell me, girl, you look so good and, and how things are going. It's not ever gonna go anywhere or we'll meet up at the copy machine and exchange a look here and there. That's not forsaking all others. That's not to live only to him, to live only to her. Or what about, what about the movies that we watch? What about Fifty Shades of Grey? It's really quiet in here today, isn't it? Dang. What about all the nasty stuff that we expose ourselves to and the things that, that we look at? Do you really think that's being faithful? Is that being faithful to one another? Uh, is that to live only to her? Is that forsaking all others? Like my, my wife, she doesn't, she's not a fan of the Patriots, but she's a big fan of Tom Brady. I think it's crossed the line. I think it's unhealthy. (laughs) She knows I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kind of kidding. (laughs) How is it that we get to this place where we stand before God and before friends and family and say we're gonna forsake all others till death do us part, but we so quickly um, fall and we do something we said we would never do because it happens all the time. Here's why. We've ignored the baby foxes, and the baby foxes grew up. So here's what we need to do. Jot this down. Here's the action step. Fight fire with fire. You got to fight fire with fire. Any coach will tell you that the best uh, defense is a really, really good offense. So check this out. The best way not to have sex with someone you're not supposed to is to have a lot of sex with the one you are supposed to. Can I get a better amen than that? Come on, people. But you don't like to have sex? Like, seriously, uh, have a really good offense. This is what Proverbs 5.15 tells us. This is giving us advice on how to uh, avoid extramarital affairs. Take a look at it. What does he say? He says, drink water from your own well. From your own well. From, from your wife. From your husband. Share your love with only her. That's it. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Just drink from her well. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always in Jesus' name. May you always be captivated by her love. Verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? What what is this saying? It's saying don't go shopping in the grocery store on an empty stomach. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Have you you ever been caught out in the wilderness, in the woods for a period of time without water? Like you start to start to get thirsty, but but you're not you know you're not so thirsty that you drink anything. You see like this nasty stream. You're like I'm not gonna bend over and drink that. Or let's say you're at Presque Isle, like no one's drinking out of that lake. All right. <laughs> but what happens if you're there for a day, 
for two days, for three days, things that are really polluted start to look a little enticing, start to draw your attention. Polluted streams start to look really good. And so it is sexually when you're not fighting at home to keep the, the flames of romance burning bright in the marriage, enjoying the gift of sex that God really created it for us to be drinking from your own well, you might start going out looking for other sources of water. And that's never to justify, never to excuse a decision uh, to have an affair. Like, it doesn't work that way. I'm not saying that, all right? So people, guys will say, well, if I don't have sex, I'm gonna die. No, you will not. You need food and water, right? That's about it to survive. I'm just saying a really good offense, right, is, is gonna help. That's the best defense, having a really good offense and also uh, really good borders and boundaries. You need to live your life in such a way, you need to build up a wall around your life because the reality is there's not a single person in this room who is not potentially ripe for an affair. Not a single person, oh, oh I would never do that. Yes, you would, yes, you could. In the wrong circumstances, in the wrong situation, every single one of us, every single, including myself up on the stage, you don't even have to look very far to see pastors who have fallen, people in leadership you know, who have fallen. There is, there's no anointing of God on your life that is greater than the temptation that lives inside the human heart. Okay, so you're a fool if you, you think you couldn't fall. You're a fool if you don't think that you would ever be handle that temptation. So build your life in such a way that makes it really hard to do something stupid. Because stupid happens fast. How many of you know that? Stupid happens fast, really fast. So keep fighting. Put great borders, great boundaries in, in place. Keep fighting. Your, your family's worth it. Your wife's worth it. Your legacy. Your children are worth it. I was in Atlanta this last week talking to um, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges with a group of pastors. Uh, Chris Hodges leads a church of 45,000 people in Alabama. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and here's what he said to a group of guys sitting in a room he said this, before I go anywhere to speak, before I go anywhere to leave, like my wife grabs me at the door and says, hey, 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 before you, you go, we gotta take care of some business. And he's like, I only have 10 minutes to get to the airport. And she goes, I know, it's gonna take us about three. So, <laughs> it's funny, but listen, protect yourself. Guys, protect yourself. Put together some really great borders and some boundaries in your life so you can fight against infidelity. All right, here's the next one. Fight against the drift. Write that down. Fight against the drift. Relationships have this unbelievable start, this dynamic kind of, of jump start. But what the, the, the spark of fire begins, it's diligence and really it's hard work to maintain it. We said a couple weeks ago that marriages are not turnkey or maintenance free that you have to maintain it. Marriage is like, is like a fire, and the fire starts, and, and it burns bright early on, and it's amazing, it's wonderful. Throw some lighter fluid on that sucker and just, I love it. It's great, but what happens if you ignore it? What happens if you turn your back on that fire? Eventually, right, it reduces itself to coals, and if you let it last any longer, it, it's gonna end up being nothing at all, so don't turn your back on your relationship. Otherwise, 
drift happens. Drift happens. You ever been to the, the ocean where you'll, you'll go play in the water 15, 20 minutes, you're, you're body surfing, you know, maybe you got sunburn really bad, you scrape your chest on the ground, that hurts, terrible, right? But then you look up 15, 20 minutes later, you don't even recognize the shoreline. Like you're like, I was staying between the Days Inn and the Holiday Inn and, and it's gone. That's because of drift. And here's what you need to know. If, if a husband and wife are not frantically, furiously swimming together, drift will pull you apart. Drift will start to, to separate you. So here's what you need to do, write it down. Pursue the relationship while you're in the relationship. Pursue it while you're in it. This does not happen on its own. No one is going to do this for you. You have to fight the current. You have to fight the drift. And it's funny because when you were dating, you couldn't get enough of each other. You couldn't spend enough time together, right? I remember taking Kristen out on a Friday night or a Saturday night and, and going out and then going back to her dorm and, and we couldn't get in each other's dorms as Asbury University. Guys weren't allowed in girls' dorms. Girls weren't allowed in guys' dorm. I think it's a really good idea, actually. But we, we would go to the dorm and we'd sit there and wait and just talk and talk and talk and hang out till just before curfew. So she could cart in without getting in trouble. And so she would cart in, and then I'd run back, to, run back to my dorm, and I'd cart in. I was always a little late, but, you know, whatever. You guys expect that. And I would cart in. I'd go up right up to my room, and what would I do? I'd pick up my phone, and I'd call her. And I'd say, hey, what are you doing? The same thing I was doing three minutes ago <laughs> when we said goodbye. And then we would just talk on the phone for hours, this is before cell phones, all right? Before data plans and minutes and all that kind of stuff, corded phones. Um, and so we just talk for hours and hours. And like, all right, I gotta brush my teeth. And, and we just keep the phone while we try to do the brush the teeth thing. And then we get in bed and still talk and talk and be like, okay, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Remember that? And eventually we'd fall asleep. You wake up and the cord is wrapped around your neck. And No, I'm just kidding. How? How do we go from that, you hang up, you know, you hang up, to sitting across a table in icy silence with nothing to say? To sitting across a table, not, not even talking to each other, but staring down at our phones? Like, how do we, how crazy is that? We need to fight the drift. Fight this pool to, to separate. You have to date your mate. You have to pursue the friendship. This is why we're, we hit this so hard with young people, that bringing sex into a relationship early on is a huge mistake. Huge mistake. Why? Because even in a marriage where the sex is slamming, let's just say it's, it's, it's amazing, it's, it's unbelievable, Right, even, even in a marriage where it's great, let's say, let's say you have sex every single day of your life as a married couple, and the married couples are going, that sounds exhausting. I know, I know. <laughs> but let's say you did, because I know this is what we think about before we get married. Man, we're just gonna have sex all the time. We're gonna do it you know, in this room and in that room. It's gonna be all over the place. And, and there's, a, there's a season in your, in your life where it is that way. But let's, let's say um, you have sex every day. How much of your life Will you actually spend doing that? How, how much of your time is that gonna occupy? Well, we said week one, about 21, 22 minutes, right? Like, it, on a good day. 
let's, let's just say it's an hour. Let's just say it takes an hour. How many hours do you have left in the day? 23? 23 hours every day where you're not engaged in some sexual activity. And that's why we desperately tell the young people, you need to understand there will be enormous amounts of time in your life where you're not having sex. And so you can't build the relationship on intimacy. Great relationships are, are built on, on friendships, on incredible friendships. So that's, that's the goal, to build a great friendship first. Then you have something else to do with the other 23 hours in the day, all right? So build that first. Here's something else we gotta fight against, jot it down. The idea of a his and hers marriage. Um, I've married a, a ton of people. I haven't married them. I've officiated their wedding. Sorry, that sounded weird. <laughs> married a ton of people. This is why you can talk about this. Um, and there's this movement, like lately, where it's kind of like marriage, but his and hers. Like we want to be married, but my career is way more important. Like, we're gonna be married, but we're gonna have separate checking accounts. We're gonna be married, but I wanna keep my autonomy. I wanna keep my identity, right? It's marriage, but it's this, this idea of a his and hers kind of marriage. And something you should know is that's not at all what God had in mind when he said the two will become one. The two will become one. He says, you're not your own. Like you're, you, I'm not my own, where we've created something new together created something beautiful, not individual. And honestly, if that's not what you're looking for in a marriage, if you're, if you're dating and you're thinking about that, you're, you, but you wanna be, keep your identity, keep your independence, what's mine is mine, you know, and what's, what's yours is yours, then can I tell you something? It just, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, maybe marriage isn't for you because that's not what God had in mind. Let, let, let me show it to you. Here's what Paul said to husbands in Ephesians 5, 28, he said, husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. Like, love them that way because he who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because the two became one, one body. So here's some great advice uh, for the guys. This is gonna help you out. In fact, all the guys, repeat after me um, out loud. What's mine is hers. And what's hers is hers. That's gonna help you out. <laughs> like right there, that'll help you out. It's two becoming one. It's this goal of unity. It's this goal of, of harmony. And I'm not saying you have to like look alike and dress alike. Please don't do that. Where you're kind of like, which one's the man? Which one's the one? I don't know, I don't know. Don't do that. But the goal is unity. So here's what you need to write down. Prefer the we over the me. That's the action step prefer the we over the me. In fact, in a marriage, we can say it this way. In a marriage, there's only one scorecard. It's not, well, you didn't do this, but you did do this, and you didn't do this, but you did do this. I'm gonna put that down. No, in a marriage, in a relationship, there's only one scorecard. It's about the two of you together. How's the relationship doing because maybe you're winning on the scorecards, separate scorecards. You could be winning the battle, but losing the relationship. You could be winning, but in fact, in a relationship, if you're winning, you're actually both losing. 
And so prefer the we over the me. The goal is, how's my wife doing? Um, how's she doing? Because if she's doing great, I'm doing great. How's he doing? If he's doing good, I'm doing good. I promise you, this is much better. All right, here's the, here's the last one. We're gonna have the band. Come on back out. We're gonna shut this party down. As I'm thinking about giving you all this advice for how we fight against you know, certain things in our, our marriages and, and, and putting up boundaries and borders and making sure we do a really good job of that, I was thinking about Joshua in the battle below. Like in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the ranks below, doing everything he can in, in the human, in the natural world below to fight, to fight. But we must not neglect what was happening on the hill above. Because Moses told Joshua, hey, um, you go fight. I'm gonna sit up on this hill and chill. And Joshua's gotta be thinking, all right, well in that moment, like that's, that's a great plan so you can watch me die from a distance. And he says, Joshua, you go down into the valley and I want you to fight. I want you to draw swords. I want you to do everything that you can to fight. And I'm gonna sit up here and chill, but what you should know is what was happening on the hill was every bit as important, if not more important, than what was happening in the battle below. Because Moses represents worship with a staff of God in hand, overhead, seeking God. Joshua represents our human responsibility to fight, to do everything we can. He's down in the valley. He, he's, he's fighting against uh, everything in our marriages. It'd be fighting against infidelity. It'd be fighting against this his and hers relationship. It, it'd be all those things. He represents our, our responsibility to fight. Moses represents worship. This is, this is worship up on the hill, and that's fighting below. And so here's what I, I thought. One of the greatest weapons we have at our disposal in our marriage is our worship. And this is an incredible picture of what marriage should be. Kristen, come here. It's two people. What's up, girl? It's two people in the valley fighting fighting against all these things, fighting against infidelity, fighting, putting up borders, putting up boundaries. It's doing everything that we can in the natural. Our human responsibility, sometimes it's back to back. Like you get that side, I'll get this side and we'll, we'll do everything. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> you do everything you can, I'll do everything that I can. But I don't ever want you to neglect this part where it's together, two people, arms held high, worshiping God. We've done everything we can in the natural, but at the, the end of the day, we need to understand that our fight against the enemy is not a fight against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. So we raise our hands and surrender and worship God, the only one who can provide the victory that we need for being here in the battle. And it will not work, it does not work. It's fighting in the moment, in the battle, but it's also what you guys are doing here now, right here today in church. Hands held high, worshiping God. Why don't you guys stand to your feet? Everybody stand to your feet. Husbands and wives, grab that hand of the spouse next to you. And here's, here's what you need to know. 
I kind of set you up. You're like, you wouldn't do that. Yes, I would. I would set you up. Um, when I told you early on that, that 50% of Americans, their, their marriages end in divorce, uh, that's true. But did you know, did you know that for those that are willing to stand on the hill with arms held high, that seek God, that put God first, that read his word, that come to church, that serve, that, that do these things together, that aren't just Christians in title, but are Christians in practice, that actually live this out, did you know that 50% divorce rate goes down to 15? 15. From 50 to 15. From 50 to 15. Well, hey, let's commit to being a part of that 15, all right? Grab that person's hand, bow your head. God, I pray that you would strengthen our marriages. God, I pray that you would help us fight, that you would help us catch these little foxes that run in the vineyard, God, so that they wouldn't become huge, hairy foxes later on, that we would commit to worshiping you in the mountain and commit to fighting for one another in the valley. And I pray right now for those in this room, God, that feel extremely far from you and they're not sure they have anything left to fight for. Well, today, from this day, from this moment on, this is a new beginning in Jesus' name. No matter what's happened in the past, you have covered that with your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. You have conquered the sin in our past so we could be forgiven. And so we receive that today. We thank you for a new life. We thank you for that grace that covers all our failures. And from this moment, we live for you. Now, while we're praying, every head bowed, every eyes closed. There might be those of you today, you've never surrendered your heart and life to God. You've never given your life to him. You've never said thank you for dying for me, for saving me, for forgiving me. And I wanna give you a chance to do that right now. That God so loved the world that he gave Jesus as a perfect, sinless sacrifice that would take our sin, past, present, and future. And the moment we call on his name, it says, let faith rise up, O heart, believe. When our hearts believe that God rose Jesus from the dead, the Bible says that we are saved, that we are new. And so from this moment on, if that's you today, you say, that's why I'm here. Colby, when you pray that prayer, you invite us to receive Christ. I'm doing that. Would you just raise your hand, just slip it up, wherever you are in this room. Say, I'm praying right along with you. Just hold up high. This is your act of surrender. This is your act of saying, Jesus, take my life. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. For those of you today that say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. You can put your hands down, pray this prayer out loud, whisper it in your heart. God, I pray that today, that this seed of faith would be planted in our hearts, that it would rise up, that our hearts would believe that Jesus died for us, died for my sin, and from this moment, I choose to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate big with those today that receive Jesus as Lord, that faith has risen up in their lives and in their heart. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.